Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness, where we will be sharing insights into the world of mental health and wellness as we explore traditional medicine and holistic healing options. It's time to have new conversations about mental health. Join Mara James, the founder and CEO of the Hugs for Life Healing Center, as she guides us along this journey. And now, let's talk wellness. Welcome to Let's Talk Wellness. I am your host, Mara James, and I'm excited to introduce to you an amazing woman, friend, and pediatrician, Dr. Vivi. Hi, Mara. Thank you for the sweet introduction. Oh, thanks for joining us today. So can you share with our friends listening um, and watching why you chose to go into uh, pediatrics? Yeah, it came to me. I traveled through life feeling out my environment and finding out what's right for me. It's not the same as some people who actually are, feel born with a calling. So mm-hmm. during, um, I, I taught for a couple of years in Santa Monica and ended up feeling like I was so overwhelmed. Teachers really do the hardest, hardest work in this world. And I was exhausted. So I decided that I wanted to continue learning. So I went back to medical school. And there we do some rotations and I found myself not being able to um, keep track of time when I was working with children. And that was the key. It was like when I do art and I love, I'm passionate about art, I could lose track of time. And that means that I love what I'm doing. So my friends um, were the ones who pointed this out because I'd always take the bus home from the hospital because I would stay late. And I said, I don't know what I'm going to go into. And they said, well, you're going to go into pediatrics. And I said, but I'm so good. And, you know, the OB rotation, all the babies were born when I was on call. I was delivering babies like it was it was my calling. So I thought I was supposed to be there, but um, I couldn't handle feet and smelly body parts. So <laughs> the kids were my calling. And honestly, clearly as a t- coming from teaching, too, it's a place where I can actually help shape what the future is for a human. And it's really hard to work with adults who are set in their patterns. And as a physician, it's, it's defeating to work so hard to help them with their blood pressure or their diabetes and see them not care. So a child, you make, you can show them how to care, or you can fix a pattern that will change their life. So that, and, and start from the very basics when they're a newborn toddler, an adolescent, when they're before they've, I, you know, they, a child will lock into who they are by the time they're a late teenager, that's their identity for life. So these are really important years where you are a formative part of who this child is going to be. That is so profound. And it's so aligned with what we're doing with children's mental health and wellness. Um, So when you have a child and, you know, you're trying to guide the child, but the parent might not be on the same page as you, what do you do with that? That must be very um, frustrating. Yes, I do a concierge practice. So I do try to align myself with what the parents think is best for the child, as long as it's not harmful. So my plan for treatment is different depending on the parent. Um, And this is true in parenting tactics, which pediatricians, pediatricians are not trained psychologists. And I want to reiterate that through this show, because when you lean on your pediatrician for their experience, it's their often their personal experience. It's not a trained professional 
Um, although we, we are always pretty clear with when something is pathological and needs help. But, you know, when a, when a pediatrician asserts how you need to parent, you need to take that with a grain of salt, right? So when, um, and especially I'm, I'm somewhat of a new parent, my child's only going to be six, my oldest, and the um, younger one's still, you know, in toddler years. So I, I do listen. It's so important as a practitioner to listen because everyone's coming from a different place. And um, let's say a parent's doing something that I think might be a little bit harmful in the way they're parenting. Sometimes you need to listen and hear what their experience was that formed them. We talk about ACEs in pediatrics, adverse childhood experiences, and a parent often has their own there, I mean, we're looking at large percents of the community coming to us with these past traumatic experiences. It might not be full up PTSD, but it's a form of an adverse childhood experience, maybe an abusive parent, whether it's verbal abuse or any other type of, um, maybe they came from poverty and they're very traumatized by that. There's so many um, informal labels to what causes an adverse childhood experience. So if a parent comes to me with some, some abnormal parenting tactics, I, I, don't, um, I don't assume that it's the wrong way unless it's harmful. And then I try to figure out where they're coming from. And you and I had a really nice conversation about how I've tried to help parents because that's the first way I can help the child. And it was beautiful how you mentioned that you don't, it's not my job to tell them what they have to do, but to act like a team and say, hey, you know what? let's see if we can get you some help at parenting about this because it's really hard here. You know, here's some, here's some options. Can I help you, um, you know, schedule or connect with this practitioner? So your question of what do I do when I feel like um, I'm not aligned with a parent, I try to come from a place of understanding of what's different in how they grew up versus how I grew up and what I was taught and what they were taught. And help them um, see how, I guess, the, the doctrine of pediatrics or mental health sees, um, sees things. And, you know, decade, one decade to the next, the dogma changes. Sure. We're now hearing about um, how we've been too soft on our youth and we need more resilience. And now we see these mass numbers of suicide. Apparently in 2019, nine percent of high schoolers attempted suicide nine percent wow. that's a that's a study that is on the cdc so um you look at that and that definitely wasn't you know when i was growing up so so the dogma changes is decade to decade and i do think parents need to trust their instinct if they're a good parent so they can take what i say with a grain of salt as, as long as they're not doing anything harmful sure. but when it becomes harmful i've had you know, have had to call child protective services. If I'm worried about the child needing that, just a check-in, I'll do like a house visit and just make sure everything's okay. I can't tell you how many times that's put a parent in line. It's not, yeah. I don't think child protective services necessarily is the, the way to go for helping a family, but it does, it is like a little alarm to the parents that, oh, uh, you know, I can't take parenting for granted. Yeah. It's a big way. It's, it's a wake up call for them, hopefully, or probably, right? Right. Yeah. And, and again, it always comes from a place where the parent is having a difficult time. So I do try to come from that vantage point first, like, you know, a, a parent diagnosed with cancer 
who's gone into their own depression and they're neglecting their child or dealing with a depression themselves. But it gets to a point where you do need to say, okay, well, it's not safe for your, your child because they're going to grow up with their own mental health issues. Right. Wouldn't it be great if all parents would be able to like, you know, work with their healing their inner child before they had their own children? Yes. And that's why I'm so grateful to what, for what you're doing and for your dedication over the years after meeting you for the first time, probably 10 years ago and seeing your dedication here in the community to mental health awareness at all ages of, of pediatric um, age groups. So it's, it's beautiful. The, you know, I remember the high five walk you did in Laguna beach um, when you were kicking things off. Right. Well, you know, as you know, seven years ago, out of the blue, I experienced a manic episode diagnosed with bipolar disorder. And I didn't even know I had any issues before that. So it was a very um, big wake up call for me. And it put me on my healing journey. And I always said that I'm going to get back to where I was. And in hindsight, I never want to go back to where I was. Um, You know, I grew up with 100% fear. And now working through my journey to be in a place of peace and faith and love and trust is so beautiful. Um, And I just want to share a story with you. So my daughter used to do travel softball several years ago. And I remember there was a girl on first base and she dropped the ball and she started crying. And I Mm -hmm. said to my daughter, why is she crying? And she said, because her dad's going to beat her because in his head, you know, they didn't have a lot of money and she dropped this ball. And therefore like the fear that she's not going to get a scholarship for college. And it was just unbelievable. And at first I was so pissed. And then as I, you know, a few years later, I'm like, wow, it's the father. You know, I found out he's an alcoholic and I, and that he's the one that's hurt and suffering and he's taking his fears and anxieties out on his child. Not that he doesn't love her, but now at least I not, and not that it's ever okay, but I have an understanding of that. And I think if we can be like more compassionate towards each other and helping each other, you know, you know, with um, just with parenting and doing it lovingly, of course, it's so profound. So, and also something you brought up. It takes a lot to get there. So you've had, you've lived many lives. So you, you kind of, when I first met you, you were already at that point in pediatrics, we come full circle because we get really mad at the parents and get annoyed with them and then realize, oh my gosh, they're the ones that need the most handholding and help. Yes. And we need to be the most compassionate with them. Yeah. So it, it's a, it's a whole trip to get to where you, you are. And clearly you had that same situation. Was it seven years ago? Yeah. Mm-hmm. That softball game. Yeah. Yeah. It was, yeah. Profound. Um, yeah. And so substance abuse is often the source in these families. It starts with a substance abuse and then gets, it's a slippery slope to depression in the household or anxiety and then drinking and right. a dependency on it. So, um, the, uh, you know, the depression helpline and suicide helpline is actually, uh, the one that I recommend it's, um, one, 800 help. That is directly affiliated with substance abuse, but it's a suicide prevention hotline and substance abuse. And they do tend to go hand in hand. And yeah, I always say like for parents, you know, when you're, when you're Medicaid, like everything in within moderation, alcohol is okay within moderation, but when things get out of control and you lean on them, that's when the problem occurs. And they always say that hurt people hurt people. So people that are self-medicating with drugs and alcohol, they're hurt inside. And you know, how can they be a good parent 
you know, and give their child unconditional love where they probably don't have their unconditional love for themselves. So I just love the movement. And I'm hoping, you know, with this movement that as you know, as you know, we focus on children, it's also focusing on the inner child and the adults. And I always say that we all have some type of trauma. If it's something as little as, you know, as working with an older Asian man and at three years old, he wanted to carry an egg and his grandmother's like, no, you can't carry it. You're going to break it. He's like, but I want to. And she said, no. And what happened? He carried it. He broke it. And then she says, you're no good. And he thinks he's no good. And once you think it, you manifest it. And then you manifest it and you think it. And it's this vicious cycle. And this is why focusing on the younger kids um, and, you know, just on our youth and helping them, you know, because a lot of times, as you said, with adults, they're so set in their ways. Um, You know, as you know, my husband's an OBGYN. And with some of his patients that are in their 60s, and these women have so much anxiety, and, you know, I want to help them, but they just don't even know who they'd be without it. They're in this vicious cycle. So really focusing on the children, you know, it's profound. Um, Something else. Yeah, after your continuing medical education, uh, seminar, I was able to direct one of the, uh, a parent who is, she just seven times has canceled her trip to the IVF doctor because of her fears of childbirth and carrying a baby and her, her, I think her own personal childhood with, you know, having a single parent. And I said, you need to go see this hypnosis, um, yeah. practitioner. So it's yeah. great that you're helping people on that level. Right. And there's such a, you know, again, talk therapy is great, but it would never have gotten me off of my medication or where I am today. I mean, there were things that I had to heal when I was inside my mom's belly. It's so bizarre, um, but it's just so profound. And this is why giving people, you know, integrating the Western, the medical profession with the holistic healers is so profound because um, people don't realize that they don't need to suffer anymore. You know, and I always throw my husband under the bus, but um, you know him and he just had so much anxiety about being late and he wanted to be at the airport four hours early and he's like and I said you're crazy because you're self-centered so finally we went to one of my hypnotherapists and in one session his anxiety was gone he's like I don't understand it I don't you know but it just changed his life and then now he refers his patients and it's so profound and that's why you know as we as the foundation like work with different pediatricians because I think most if God willing all people go to a pediatrician and as you said like you know, most physicians don't, you know, you don't take a lot of courses in mental health and it's so profound and people rely on you, which really isn't fair. Um, But this is why if we can help like connect with the pediatricians and have them, you know, just referring to us as a free service where we can guide them, you know, again, to help the parents put or moms put their oxygen mask on first to help their child. It's so profound. And what you did for that one patient, you probably don't even realize um, that you probably changed her life forever for the better, you know? And as you do that, like I see a lot of patients that start coming to my husband. It's so profound. They went to one hospital, they had a terrible delivery and now they transferred to him for the second one. And that fear of delivery, that fear and anxiety that they're feeling passes on to the fetus and to be able to help the parent, the mother relax when they're pregnant to help the child is profound. So thank you for doing that. Cause that's such a blessing for that patient. Sure. Yeah. Um, I can want you sh- to share with us some um, the early signs and symptoms at various stages that signal that there might be an underlying mental health concern, whether it's anxiety, depression, or something else. Yes, absolutely. And it is true that people will stop at the pediatrician first. So 
Um, if you don't have a lot of time with your pediatrician and you feel like your questions weren't answered, do go back if some of these symptoms continue because lots of offices have maybe five, 10 minutes to hear you out and mm -hmm. will say, oh, yep, nope, it's not hypothyroidism or it's not, you know, it's not this, that, try this and, you know, they're off to the next patient and they don't go home worrying about you. So you got to trust your instincts as a parent. We have some very specific lists that you can find online too, but usually in pediatrics, we see some school problems, behaviors at school. Then the most common things that at all ages is changes in the eating or sleeping habits. It could be hypersomnia or insomnia, um, the loss of excitement to eat cake or there's nothing you can really entice your child with to eat or they um, aren't getting joy from their food. And then feelings of sadness and hopelessness, which I think a lot of people are, had experienced during the pandemic. Um, we can talk about that more if you want. And then there's no, the, the screening question I always use, which has over time been true to, to speak about whether there's depression. You ask the child, is there anything you look forward to in the day? Because often a child will have some times when they're just not, they hate school for for other reasons that you would need to look into. But you ask them, hey, is there something you look forward to though when you get out of bed and you give them some examples like playing your video game or meeting up with friends or going swimming. If there's even one thing in their day that they look forward to, they're not in full-blown depression. So there's might be some anxiety over some other activity in the day, but it's not a full-blown depression at that time. Um, some other symptoms is low energy levels or general tiredness, inability to concentrate and focus. We call that psychomotor agitation or retardation. Um, mood changes, such as being very irritable and fussy. So we, for a definite criteria of a major depressive disorder, we need five of those over two weeks. But in pediatrics, we tend to know when a child's depressed. If you're not finding, if a child's not finding joy in any activities, we really don't need to label how many days in the month that child's felt that way. Um, anxiety, when is this an issue? Well, children with separation anxiety, that's normal. It's healthy to be fearful of others and separating from, so there's stranger anxiety and separation anxiety. That's actually a healthy um, genetic inherited trait. But when it becomes so that a child is not able to participate in normal daily activities, we, that's when we know it's beyond the normal range. Um, fear. So let's say a, a child is scared of a dog that might bite them and they have this persistent fear and that now they won't even go outside the house for play dates or to go to the park. That's when it's a problem. But if you want to talk them through it and then you can get them out the door, then it's, it's a normal anxiety from an experience. Um, any physical symptoms of panic or sweating or dizziness, if they feel like they can't catch their breath, breath that could be anxiety. Refusing to go to school is a very common one for anxiety. They'll, or they might throw up or get sick on the way to school and their stomach feels like it's in knots before school. Um, that can also be true for social activities. And then there's, um, unfortunately during COVID, this has become true too, that there's a fear that a parent might die. Um, or a loved one may die. So that that is a, usually an anxiety disorder. And with the anxiety disorder, do you, what do you usually recommend? Is it medication, therapy, both, something else? Well, of course, it's about talking to the parent. 
So if it's a true anxiety disorder, I, I will talk to them. I always preface it with what I told you. I am not a trained psychologist. So if there's a true anxiety disorder, I will push and push for them to see. I will call and talk to several psychologists, try to make it happen, whether it needs to be Zoom or an, a visit, find someone who matches that child's personality. Um, so they do need professional help if they have a true anxiety disorder that's interrupting their daily life. Mm -hmm. But what do I do? I talk to the parent about how to respond, at least for the immediate until they can see a specialist. And usually being you know, emotionally aware and available, sympathizing, but not, um, you don't want to you, you want to talk about why it, those are those are real fears for them, but you don't. You want to talk about what safeties are already in place to to protect them from their fear, and you don't want to embellish and say, "Oh, we'll do something more to protect you." You need to help them take baby steps to face their fear. If they're not ready, then you need to give them more skills, and that is when you, where you need maybe cognitive behavioral therapy, some sort of visualization therapy, so that they can think through and put themselves in an imaginary, imaginary scenario, talk themselves through it, and then slowly expose them to that. So a parent can sometimes do it on their own, but um, it, I mean, it depends the extent of the limitations in their life for their anxiety. Um, but often again, it's the parents have already modeled that anxiety. And so with the pandemic, I was asking parents to not talk extreme in my office in front of their kids and pretty much 80% of them were. And I said, this is not, this is not going to do any services to your child. So you will have to kind of work with the parents too, to work on their anxieties. Cause a lot of it is mirroring and modeling, but right. they do, they do need help if any of this is diagnosed. Okay. Um, some of the things though, that are real medically, do you want me to go into that? I do. Um, I'd like to give, uh, we're going to take a one minute quick break and then we'll come back. And if we, you could share this with that, um, everybody, that would be wonderful. Sure. In these shifting and changing times, more and more lives are being impacted by mental health. The Extraordinary Lives Foundation, also known as ELF, is transforming the way people view and navigate mental health challenges. Their mission is to improve children's mental health and wellness and support families by providing educational tools, resources, and awareness events. ELF encourages families to recognize symptoms, overcome the stigma, and reach out for help. Through prevention, early intervention, and holistic treatment, we believe many of the big problems facing today's youth can be transformed within a generation. Extraordinary Lives Foundation is excited to offer the Hugs for Life Healing Center, growing a worldwide network of approved holistic healers and bridging the gap between traditional and complementary healing options. Visit the Extraordinary Lives Foundation website at www.elfempowers.org to find out more about their resources and events. Together, we can change the conversation around mental health. We hope that you're enjoying today's Let's Talk Wellness podcast. And if you have a topic that you would like us to explore, we would love to hear from you. Simply email us at info at elfempowers.org. That's info at elfempowers.org. And now, back to the show. 
Let's Talk Wellness. I'm your host, Mara James, and we have our guest today, Dr. Vivi, wonderful pediatrician in Orange County, California. Hi again. Hi. So Dr. Vivi, thank you for um, sharing all of your knowledge and wisdom with us. It's just so fascinating. Um, can you please share with us medical reasons for symptoms that you might see in the office? Yeah, so some of the reasons that people will come see the pediatrician first is because they are worried about maybe hypothyroidism, a child who's very lethargic at home, lack of interest in things. Um, there's, a, there's a short list. We often will check for anemia. We'll do a blood panel to make sure that they're not tired because of being anemic. Mm -hmm. That would be someone who doesn't have enough iron or is a vegetarian. Sometimes post-concussion, it could be many months out that the child just is not themselves because of the concussion, headaches and um, mood changes that they will, will be related to the concussion. And it could be a year, a year and a half before they recover. And so someone might want to get an MRI. You can see some diffuse changes. Um, the, some of the more clinical explanations, which become more serious is a child with diabetes, they're just getting tired. Their body is lacking energy sources. So they're breaking down muscle and it could be many months before you actually see, um, see the child urinating more than normal. And then, and that's when it's usually diagnosed and caught epilepsy. There's something called absence seizures. A child at school might have eye blinking or staring and they're not able to focus in school. So then they have problems in school with their grades and they're, they're not even aware what's going on and they struggle just to keep their grades up and they really get, um, I guess, mentally exhausted from trying to keep up with the homework and staying, staying attentive. And that can run in families or be um, a, a new mutation. So you'll, you'll see if your child's staring and staring off that that might actually be a form of epilepsy. Oh, hypothyroidism or hyperthyroidism. So our thyroid gland controls our metabolism and uh, helps us with our activities. So if there is either hyperthyroidism, they could become depressed. They have excess energy and they're actually um, having loose stools and very, very voracious appetites. Hypothyroidism is the opposite, very slow and not metabolizing as quickly. And that that often will look like depression. The fatigue from mono is, is a common, um, and, and actually mono, when you are sick, sometimes you just do become depressed. So having mononucleosis, it's good to stay in touch with your patient or vice versa as a, as a parent. Um, make sure you let the pediatrician know if outside of the fatigue, they're getting depressed from being out of school or being behind in school. And then vitamin D deficiency. This is a big one. This has been known and studied that low vitamin D, which is one of the most common problems in my office and other offices is linked to depression. So I recommend everyone, even little toddlers, 1000 international units per day. You don't need anything fancy. You can get it at CVS and, or you can order it online. It's vitamin D3. Adults should be on 2000 to 10,000 a day. And I am a vitamin D pill pusher in my house. I'm running around asking everyone, including my husband. My husband surfs and he's outside all day. He's so dark. He's got blue eyes. His skin is so dark from being outside on the phone for work. And he um, he's chronically low in vitamin D. So I just want to 
oh. let people know that my even when I was um, testing it when I was down by the working down in Capistrano Beach, all the surfer kids were so low in vitamin D. They were outside in the sun all day, but your body blocks the absorption of vitamin D with melanin. So you actually need to take it. There's just no food group that's going to provide it. Even if you tell me you're drinking three glasses of milk, you're just not getting enough. So that's a really important thing for everyone who has, even if, once you are depressed, you should be on vitamin D. It will help your mood. Um, I think that covers the most common causes that would be medical for depression. And when I say that, that doesn't mean that the depression isn't also there. So they might have a medical issue. The depression is linked to that, or they just might be fatigued from their medical condition. Right. Wow. So interesting. Um, can you also share with us some skills, drills, and activities that will help promote a lifetime of wellness in our children? Yeah, I, this is my passion because starting with a, a very young age, I mean, we're talking about infants, I think you can really help help them put their best foot forward. First of all, you are what you eat, you are what you are, eat, you are what you eat. If you give your brain the right food, it will be happy. So think about berries, nut butters, start your, start your toddler off on the right foot with enjoying some of these natural foods, not the processed, get those nutrients. If you look up, um, one of my favorite booklets when I, before I was even a doctor was maybe 10 pages with like five columns on each page showing all the ingredients in an apple, your body uses all of those compounds to do good things for it. You take Cheetos or something in a bag, you're just not going to get that. So start your child's um, palate to be informed and excited over healthy foods. So use, use eat organic when it's necessary um, for, you know, the dirty dozen, and then go ahead and introduce and reintroduce and reintroduce those vegetables and fruits so that you get your child used to that. Um, the, I just did a post on this about a balanced, a balanced meal. And everyone should know if you go to myplate.org that you should teach your child starting, you know, at three, four to pick a vegetable, a fruit, a dairy, a grain, a balanced diet. And, and a yeah, I think I said protein. I think I said, it said them all. So bring that picture out every meal and let your child pick what they're going to eat for each food group and teach them what a balanced diet is so that they can be independent on their own at school and know, know what their body wants and needs. Um, other, so th that's the most basic, but there are lots of great skills and drills for a child's mental health that are very specific to mental health, meaning get them a reward chart and post it for any type of behavior that's awesome and ask them at night before they go to bed what they like most about themselves that day. Always focus on some positive, great um, ego building phrases that you guys can repeat and post in the bathroom what they like about themselves or something you like about them. There's, there's no amount that's too much of praise for for good activity, good personality traits, good behaviors. There is not, there's no repercussions in that child's life if they think that they're incredible. And so help them build that self-esteem. For okay. you a question about that, sorry. Um, so if someone like, uh, some parents are like, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful, which some people say that's more superficial and it's not a personality trait. Do you have any comments about that? 
you know, I think you have to be use it in balance because mm -hmm. you're beautiful to me because of the way you sing and are, you know, you're, you're making it clear that they're just so beautiful to you as a parent. Mm -hmm. um, and then make sure that's not the only thing you're saying. Unfortunately, in this real world, we all want to feel like we're beautiful. So it's okay for a parent to tell tell their child they're beautiful. Um, it it doesn't it doesn't mean that they don't know once they're a teenager that it was their mom that thought they were beautiful and it's not you know all the boys at school. It helps them feel a really secure foundation. Again, I'm not a mental health provider, but it has come up before, and it's honestly about building good self esteem, a good foundation. Mm -hmm. I mean, I've seen so many parents being over the top about everything. You're so amazing. I thought they were going to build spoiled kids. And what we're, the different spoiling versus talking about good behaviors and what they're good at and how hard they work. I think that's very key in some of the psychological books I've read that you are encouraging and praising for how hard they try. Mm. It's important not to say you are so fast no, you tell them you work so hard at running fast. You are so good and dedicated to practicing because then they fall into a trap. If they start something, they're not good at it. They're like, oh, I'm not good at this. No, but this is not, I can't, I can't do this. I'm bad at, I'm bad at hitting the ball. No, you tell them when they're, even when they're naturally talented at something, you don't praise that you praise their work effort towards it. And that's important. Um, another really awesome drill that I love for children to do at a young age. And when I say young, like five, six, seven, because, you know, even five-year-olds love to be naked um, and do, do encourage your child. Don't make them fearful about being naked in the privacy of their room. I teach them to stand in front in their underwear. I mean, I think that that's a safe place to start to stand after bath time, or in your underwear, in the mirror every day and look at your body and talk to the mirror and tell your body how grateful you are for, for it. Um, and I always have this conversation when I see kids, um, when I see kids in their adolescent years, and I know that they're struggling at school because of conversations with the parents and they'll agree to do this. And it literally helps them become their own best friend and learn to talk to themselves and appreciate their body. And I talk to them about some, some sad patient cases where they were, you know, thrown from a horse and now can't walk things that give them perspective. And I think that's good for parents to do, to give them perspective and maybe volunteer at a place where people are underserved or have any type of um, medical issues so that they have perspective and at the simplest level, I literally tell them when, when I'm trying to get them to understand what I'm saying, you know, when you have a cold, you cannot wait for your nose to be back to normal. And you never appreciated your nose working for you two weeks ago. And you just can't stand how you can't breathe. And I say, look at your body right now. You're walking. You need to be every day grateful that your body can do what it can for you. So that helps them switch gears from, oh my gosh, I have uh, you know, a, a little extra roll on the side of my belly. I don't like to, wow, my body's incredible. Look at this incredible machine that uh, is working for me. And I talk about that extensively. I actually asked two twins, a boy and girl who are now high schoolers. I go, was I wasting my breath on that? They're like, no, it was so good. It's good. And so I'm like, oh, good. So I, I do, uh, you know, and it was something I was taught. I think that's why I carry it with me because 
we can be so kids can be so hard on themselves, but if they learn to love their bodies, mm-hmm. it starts somehow it's so superficial in, in middle school and high school, right? So if you can teach them at six, seven, because you know, we have kids getting nose jobs, you know, in middle school to high school now. Mm-hmm. But if you can teach them to love their body, it changes things and their perspective on the world. So that's one of the drills I love the most. Um, literally being naked in front of the mirror, the telling the kids to. I love, and the power of loving oneself is so beautiful. And, um, and you just gave me a new idea for a piggy bear book, power of, you know, the body or something, how, you know, and starting to, yeah. yeah. Reminding people who's their own best friend. You are your, your conversation to yourself. I tell kids that, that you have to be nice to yourself because you are your own best friend. You have other friends, but they're going to come and go and they're going to move, but you're your own best friend and to talk to yourself nicely. Um, So, and then lastly, screen time and getting outdoors, moving the body. These are important drills. Now I've come across psychologists who say, oh, I just need this kid to do less. And that always stops me in my tracks. I'm a go, 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 go. Like, oh no, my, my son needs to get out the door even more. He's hanging around the house too much. And then that's when he gets these moods. But so it's going to be different for everyone. And overload might be the activity, but every child should be walking. We're talking about five, four, four years of age and up four miles a day. That's about 10,000 steps. Get your child a Fitbit, give them some reward for doing that. It will really cleanse their mind and help them appreciate their body and, and just learn some ethics, some activity that will, they'll take with them to college. Wow. What a great idea, you know, instilling it that, uh, you know, age. And also it starts with the parents. Um, that is beautiful. Well, Dr. Vivi, I'd like to say thank you so much for being here today. Um, if people want to get in touch with you, what's the best way? Do you have a website or? Yeah, I do concierge pediatrics. You can look it up under concierge pediatrics or ask drvivi.com. A-S-K-D-R-V-I-V-I.com. And does Dr. Does Vivi stand for something? It's Aviva Alyashmirni, a mouthful. Wow. Um, yeah I love yeah we'll just go with Dr. Vivi well thank you everybody for being here today and don't forget that you are amazing thank you for joining us for this episode of let's talk wellness this podcast has been brought to you by the hugs for life healing center a division of the extraordinary lives foundation a 501c3 nonprofit organization if you would like to listen to more conversations like this We invite you to subscribe to our mailing list at www.elfempowers.org to be notified when our weekly episodes are published. Thank you for joining us, and we look forward to bringing you our next conversation on Let's Talk Wellness.